be professional. Well, we're going to be very professional, and I think the first um, indication of why you are so um, in demand is that you showed up for our podcast at exactly on time stroke of nine o'clock. And I always thought that I, I think that's a great um, asset, which is showing up on time. Is that something that you've always done? Oh, I'm sure it's not something I've always done, but uh, but as, as an adult, anyway, I'm pretty good about it. Yes, and I, you know, I, I do feel if you don't do that, it, you're you're tacitly saying that your your own time is more valuable than everyone else's, and that's you know, um, pretty insulting. So I it's, try to always it's, show up on time. That's really nice, and I think for all the perspiring young composers out there, uh, it's a very very good lesson because all of us have experienced all varieties of that people showing up early which is nice on time and then the anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour late version which is always kind of amazing um I, I, i'll tell you as an example um when i go to the recording studio i always get there early but joel and ethan cohen are always there earlier than me pretty much um they, yeah so that tells you something if, about it um yeah showing up early is uh it's important you get a sense of what's going on in a situation like that, right? Um, uh, you can sense if anything's wrong or hasn't been any problems haven't been solved. Um, it's yeah, it's valuable. I really like that. I even this morning I could have been sort of a minute before we went, but I thought just going to jump on and sort of test stuff so that when you appear, it's together as opposed to when you appear, I'm futzing. That being said, it's lovely to see you. It's lovely um, to see you too. It's been a minute. I think we had a conversation about Macbeth on That's probably right. Probably two years ago. But for our audience, of course we have Carter here because he is I mean, I think we go right to the headline here, a an Academy Award nominee this year among five pretty remarkable challengers to your throne here of which you're about to <laughs> seize. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Carter, yeah. Yeah, it, it's uh, your third nomination. They say three times the charm. So are you ready to say to John Williams, I never thought I'd be competing with you and winning have you thought about uh what you're going to say to the maestro for beating him with your unbelievable score for banshees of Innis sharon do you think about the fact that you're in the category with him um i mean that's just a bizarre uh coincidence but of course he's been nominated so many times that the odds are anyone who else is nominated will be in uh, you know in there with him because he's nice know, it just happens so often right it's a statistical fact but um but i also i'm I, I think it's great to be in there with justin and volker and um the group sunlux i mean these are all i you know this is the the younger generation i guess you would say whether they think of themselves that way or not and are they're all doing such amazing work. I, um, I, I think it's very exciting to hear the direction 
that film scoring is is going. That is so generous of you, and I agree. And I, I wonder, did you? I I was truly trying to scope out the Academy's luncheon photo. Um, and the Academy lunch was a couple days ago or yesterday, and it's yesterday. Some, it, was pretty, it was yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. yep. Um, did you get a chance to? talk to any of those human beings that you just mentioned were they there of course yeah I, yes uh, i didn't see john williams i'm not sure if he was there but mm -hmm. um but i saw all, all the others and made sure to say hi i know justin a bit and volker by now but i had i'd only seen the sunlux guys on zoom before so it was um, fun to see them in real real life um and but that's what the luncheon is all about it's like going up to people <laughs> and saying hi people you um, will never run into. I said hi to Bob Iger. <laughs> when am uh -oh. I ever going to do that? <laughs> uh, oh, um, please share. How felt. Yeah, how did I you feel? How he felt, felt about Banshees of any sharing being a Disney movie. And he kind of, um, he looked off into space. Because I think to him, I'm just like a gnat that was like flying around. Like, do I have to think about what this guy's saying to me? I don't know. Golly, I wish you'd said he... He said, you know, it's funny, that scene where the donkey dies, uh, that was one of the most, I wish he had given you some really deep response about how intimately he appreciated the film. Any other great, uh, who did you sit with at lunch? That's always a big, fun table. Uh, that's true. I sat with uh, David Greenbaum, one of the presidents of Searchlight Pictures. Yep. And um, Leslie Barber, who's one of the governors oh, of the music branch. Oh, great, um, the two songwriters from Natu Natu. Um, oh, amazing. And, yeah. Uh, and the other people were so far on the other side of the table, I don't honestly know. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to them, so I'm not sure. But it sounds like a music table, which is kind of nice. It's true, yeah. yeah. It's very nice. Um, of course, I've been, not only did I see the film, but then I decided to listen carefully to the Banshee score. I I know that you've been asked many times about the quality of it but i think i think musically it's super interesting i kind i even went to the piano and and parsed out the and wish i was smart enough to know boo do boo do boo do 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 i sort of thought cuz i think in the key of c i thought c e flat g a flat b flat and i looked at it and I thought, okay, this is like, this is definitely a mode of which I don't know which one, or it's the A-flat major scale played starting on a C, but whatever it does, it makes me feel kind of creepy in a way. I can't explain why, but those notes, the irony is those notes played beautifully on a celeste are still, yeah. are still weird, are still weird. That's a, that's a combination. Is that something that the kind of yin and yang of of that that occurs to you as you're composing it yes um and it's you know it's of course that's in the dna of the movie uh it's it's a both a very sad very funny movie you know mm -hmm. horrible things are happening but there's also a lot of humanity and warmth it's you know i had to the key to all of the music really is to write something that will work with all of those possible um, situations because um, you uh, 
that's the world these characters live in. And um, yeah, so it has to always be, have some innocence, but also it has to play lost innocence as well. It has to play horror and, uh, but uh, love. Um, it's, yeah, so it, it really was kind of, a blender of um <laughs> of of different you know tonalities so that they were all in a sense there and it's funny when i talk to people who um, have seen the film some of them identify the music right from the beginning as being sweet and some of them identify it as being dark like right from the beginning they hear the same piece of music but hear it completely differently and um it's and the same thing with the film i talked to someone they come out of the film and they may have one thing to say and i talk to them a week later and they feel completely differently about it uh so i think that's that's the strength of martin's writing and directing and these amazing performances um so yeah i mean it's that's right it's it is all exactly as you described well, you're, that you're modest because it's also the strength of composing a score that is i don't even know what the visual is and i know you're you know it's visual from animation all that it's sort of looking at a beautiful stained glass window with the sun oh isn't that sweet and beautiful and then you look at the images in the stained glass window <laughs> i don't know why this comes to me and they're sort of dark and a little so i i really felt that because the the instruments are beautiful a celeste and a harp and oh isn't that pleasant but the actual choice of notes the more i sat and listened and played them i thought Man, if you play these notes on like a big cello ensemble, it would be a horror film. They're scary. So I, I really love I really love that you combine that. I wondered where did you record? At Abbey Road? At Abbey Road, yeah. Abbey Road Studio Two. Oh my goodness. How it's about it? How about the studio two? The vibrations in Studio Two. Were you upstairs looking down on the band? No, I was conducting. Oh, you were conducting. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. I love. I, yeah, it's such a great room. And uh, this is a very small ensemble. I mean, I yes. can't imagine that we had more than twenty instruments, at, even at its largest. And um, so you really could hear every single instrument. And I was able to use some instruments that, like bass flute, which you can't typically fit into an orchestral setting because it's so quiet, uh, really. But with this small ensemble, we could um, be actually able to use bass flute along with bass clarinet as, a, um, as my woodwind section. Um, yeah, I, I love, honestly, I love these small ensembles where you can have individual conversations with every player about what they're doing. And um, I learn so much. and um, And I feel like, it, because everyone knows that everything they play will be heard. Everyone's so honest, you know, uh, you can't, you know, no one can relax. Uh, um, which it's I like. really like a, like a, um, you know, a small ensemble for a play where every line of dialogue, instead of a big loud orchestra and a chorus on stage and you can, every note means something when it's that small. And well, uh, I mean, yeah. I love that. It's a nice way of putting it. No, I love that too. And it's it's also a function of, it's funny, I was talking to Volker Bertelman. We had breakfast together at the hotel this morning and, and hmm. talking about how, you know, when you have a movie with less than 60 minutes of music, you can really indulge your perfectionism. You, you really can't. I don't huh. think you can do that if you're writing 90 minutes of score, you know, but 
Um, but with this, uh, it's probably 40 minutes of score or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, you can really just get in there and uh, and fine tune it uh, to your heart's content, which I which I love to do. I wonder about um, the process, just because I read that you and Martin were on different continents. Yeah, and right. I guess in this day and age, that's a little more okay. I used to have a rule that I learned painfully that the composer and the director should not have an ocean between them. And the way I learned it was that I was working on films in Los Angeles with the composer in the UK. And there always was a moment where the director freaked out and this cue is all wrong. And it's the middle of the night there and it's 8 a.m. here or whatever it was. And it was always... I mean, I had some real moments of calling a composer, say, you better get your ass to Heathrow right uh-huh. now and be at LAX tomorrow morning. Now, right. electronically, I mean, you said Martin and you were never, except for one day, you said, where he was in New York. We, yeah, we spotted the film together, but um, that was it. Uh, and then I saw him at Abbey Road next time I saw him. Um, it's... I know what you're talking about, and I'm also aware that because I live where I live, I don't live in L.A., that that very um, philosophy you just described prevents me from working on a lot of films because I mm. can't be in the – you know, I'm not down the street uh, at all. But um, but I do also agree with what you're saying about that technology has made that easier. And, and to be honest, the pandemic has made it easier. We're all just a lot more comfortable with yeah. uh, you know these tech technologies that allow us to see each other, talk to each other, send things back and forth. Um, uh, the pandemic <laughs> really did, I think, change the standard um, of what we expect in terms of human interaction, uh, for better or worse. Completely. Uh, and, it, and it allows me to, you know, now it doesn't seem quite so odd that I live at the end of Long Island, whereas, you know, five or 10 years ago, it definitely did seem odd. Now, there, you know, all these people went off and to do remote work and all this and decided, oh, I don't, I don't need to live in the city anymore. So, um, anyway, we, I think for Martin and I, it's, it's, it's natural. We've never been in the same place when I've been writing his scores. Uh, he lives in London. I live in New York. And, um, uh, but we've done enough of this together that, you know, I think we understand each other. And also I'll have to say this. He's a writer. Like when I work with Joel and Ethan Cohen, they're writers. And so his emails are usually very clear. Uh, hmm. and, um, and so there's very little misunderstanding. Uh, he can say in a sentence, he can put it in a sentence, what, he, what he's after. Sometimes I'll admit with Joel and Ethan, I can't, sometimes without face-to-face, I can't tell whether they're being ironic, if they're telling a joke or, of course. or they're telling me something else. But, um, but anyway, with Martin, it's always been very clear, I think. Um, and sometimes like with any director, I have to put, I have to, nail him down so does that mean you this is okay with you um and he's juggling other things and the cut may still be changing so um but i have to at some point it comes it's true on every project at some point put in front of a director the list of cues okay so are we clear on this are we clear on this is this good you know um because they're doing so many other things it's uh and no one in a way wants to commit if they could possibly put it off for another week but um (laughs) Yeah, that's just that's so true in every what a, project. 
what is he listening to that you're sending him? Are you doing high high quality demos with synthetic instruments until you get to the stage? I smile because it depends on what you how you define high quality. I um, <laughs> I think I mean for 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 a score like this, I think they were very high quality demos because mm-hmm. you know it's really like a fairly small group of instruments, and some of which into the samples were actually kept, uh, like the Celeste, the final Celeste is my sample because I've had bad experiences renting Celeste and they sometimes can be a little clunky or they haven't been regulated properly. Also their gamelan gongs in the, um, in the instrumentation, which also yeah. I use samples because that way I can tune them better to the Western instruments. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, um, this one, yeah, lent itself very well to a synth rendition. Probably if you listen to the synth rendition, you'd, You'd say, yeah, that is really good. That said, I'm not like Hans, and I don't have people out there like tweaking my synth demos. It's really just me doing them. So, you know, saying they're high quality, it's a relative thing. These were pretty good, but they're never going to be like someone who has a guy to actually do a synth demos for him, right? I'm, I try to, what I try to do with that in regards to that is I say to the director, okay, my first demo, I'm going to really be really careful with and make it sound really good. But I'm a composer. I'm not a demo maker. And, a, and <laughs> my time is better spent writing music. So please expect the later demos to sound like crap because I'm just not going to be in there like really fine tuning everything. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Are there people out on the tip of Long Island that are uh, available to you for, you know, MIDI simply consultation with plugins and are you really technologically um, isolated i mean i'm sure there are I, but do you I mean, do you have right that's i'm right. so used to composers the, having a guy around them that's like or a woman that's they're not only making tea um but the tea boy or tea girl is sort of putting installing apps do you have that or are you really solo no, ever since I moved out there about 13 years ago, and it, when I lived in the mm. city, I had a person who would help me. But uh, for the last 13 years, uh, it's been solo, make my own tea, and install my oh, own shoot. apps. And, and I um, there are people out there who, from time to time, are out there who can do this stuff. But it's um, there is enough work out there to support a person with with these skills. You know what I mean? There's you know, they, I can't give them. Uh, constant work and um i only need someone when yeah maybe once every few weeks or when something goes terribly wrong i need someone oh god but um so um no i don't really have a a person so when you get to the stage and you're in the same room with morton i assume he comes to the score dates yes is that assuming too much oh yeah he he lives in london and we're scoring in abbey road so um yes does he uh, every day are there any bombshells like geez this sounded good when i heard it uh in my headphones but now that i'm hearing the band play it not not what i expected 
the, what certainly didn't have a bombshell. The the only thing we had was that uh, there was one cue where he and the editor had actually slid the score by like two or three seconds, and and wanted they felt that it landed, the ending landed where they liked, but mm. of course by sliding at the beginning wasn't it wasn't where I liked. So, um, but that was it, and I they you know yeah they somehow that had slipped through the cracks, and they told me about it when we were recording, but we still had another day of recording, so. Um, I actually went, just went back to the hotel and I was able to keep the ink as they say, and really just like change the timing a little so that the beginning was working for me and the ending was working for them. You um, didn't that the at that moment put your head down and say, I, I'm, I'm devastated. That was my favorite. I've seen it. I've seen oh, yeah, a composer say, say that was my favorite moment. And I'm, I, I need to step away for a moment. I'll, I'll give me. Give me some time. Did I'm going you throw down to the a canteen? Right, a exactly. I know. Um, it was. A, it's an interesting one because it's a scene where. Um, have you seen the film? I have. Okay, so it's a scene where uh, Colin Farrell's sister Siobhan is Love leaving her. the island on a boat. Oh, and, um, that's an amazing yeah, scene. Terry Connor. Yeah, it's probably the most emotional. She's, she's scene so in wonderful. The movie. Yep. She's so wonderful, and um, you know nothing is said. It's a long scene, which is all music, really. Mm. And um, mm-hmm. she's leaving, and it's a it's the biggest event in his life, really, at that moment, and hers as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so the music's playing that, and then at the very end, you cut up to him on the cliffs, looking at her, and you sort of see a, a figure out of focus in the distance, and you know it's a dark figure, and definitely a little bit foreboding. Um, and the question was, how do we play that, uh, the dark figure? Like, um, mm. And um, Martin really wanted to be quiet. But when we tried to have going quiet for the reveal of the dark figure, it seemed like we was making too much of it. And so it was really a very much of a filmmaking decision. Like, how do we, where do we end? You could also, yeah. I wrote a piece where it went on for another like six seconds and took him home. And that really made the dark figure not important by just playing through it, but then that it made it too not important. So we, you know, we they were trying that he and Martin and the editor were just trying all this trial and error that I wasn't part of of moving it. And do we end it here? Do we end it there? I um, mean, they came to their own conclusion about what ending they wanted. And then, yeah, you know, they had worked on it so much I couldn't. You know, there's no point in my arguing. It, it, it's fine. They it's better that they had a decision, right, than not have one, right. I just had to make the whole rest of it work with the ending that they wanted. And so this happened in the room, the band plays in the, room. the queue and they say, uh, great, Oh, we forgot except... to tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel it worked finally? Oh, I think it works. It works well. Of course, for the sake of argument, I can say I could have worked the other way too, but, um, but there were a lot, it's a, it's a subtle movie uh, and there's, it's yeah. full of scenes that you can interpret in different ways. And for instance, that, that figure, which we, I think we all assume is Mrs. McCormick, the old kind of the closest right. thing we have to an actual Banshee in the film. Right. right exactly. Um, you know, but what is she? Does she see the, is she just a creepy old woman or does she actually see, you know, death coming to the Island or does she cause deaths on the Island? We don't really know. And I think the, um, then not knowing is what you 
want to achieve. And I think they did achieve that. The, the music just doesn't yes. tell you one way or the other about who she is. What's remarkable is as a viewer of the film, of course, the audience is completely unaware of this decision-making that goes on that <laughs> subtly shapes. So we all arrive at our own conclusion, slightly directed by the picture and music, but kind of wrapped up and trying to understand where we are and what's happening on screen. And to, it's always wonderful to learn how much went into that moment and why that's so director had a point of view that he wanted you to score a certain way. It's funny that you say, you know, he's such a great writer because I understand of course, what a value that is, but music and words are very different. So if he says, I want it more sad, you know, are you going back and forth? What kind of sad? Melancholy sad or tragic sad? You know, the composer has such a huge responsibility to translate words from a director. Right. Is he the uh, greatest writer that he directs you in a way that you say, totally got it. I got it. Well, it's, you know, I feel that it's not that unlike being an actor, like my job, uh, that, and the director has to find nice. the way to get you to the performance, right? Uh, the same way with the actors. Um, and you, you know, hopefully it's not by singing <laughs> the notes to you. Most actors don't like that when there's like the director feeds them the, the, uh, their lines and, um, same for me. Uh, but in this case, the case of this film, almost all Martin's directions were um, in the form of, or were kind of like negative instructions. It was, let's not end this so sad. Let's not, we can't let it land too happy or too, the, the, for the entire length of the film, basically, the music can be neither too much this or too much that because the audience's ability to insert themselves into that ambiguity is what makes a movie like this. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that they, you know, they mm -hmm. can, they can be with feeling for one character or feeling for the other character or thinking everybody on this film is crazy. It's, and you don't want to push them. And that's, um, I think whatever it is people enjoy about this film, I think it is that, that they are put in a position of having to say, well, he's got a point. Yeah. Well, I don't <laughs> she's got a point, you know, I, they um all of the characters are very i mean despite very heightened things going on they're all at the same are real characters with real motivations and you just don't want to um i tried very hard to avoid coloring it and what i ended up doing my solution to that was to sort of have the music like if here's where all the action and uh you know the characters are living the music kind of goes up and lives up here where it's more like floating above the action, it never plays any human's actual emotion. Like even the scene I was describing where Siobhan is leaving the island, probably the most emotional scene in the movie is just celeste and harp. And finally at the end, in the big part, a flute, a flute and a clarinet come in, right? It's so restrained that what I found, and, and Martin and I both found, was that the less that I said, the all that restraint made the situation even more emotionally painful for you. You know, the audio, the music isn't holding your hand. It isn't saying, oh yeah, this is so terrible. Let's let, let's all cry now. It never says that. It's, um, and in the end, I think 
when I retrospectively, when I look at it, I think what the music does is it makes the whole story more like a fable so that you don't really think a guy has really cut off his fingers. I mean, he never even puts bandages on them. It's not like a real, um, these are not physical realities and these are not as specific as the film is about time and place and costume and, you know, setting the sets. Um, I tried to play it more like it's a fable, like an allegory. And, um, and that's just the music. That's not true, I think, of the characters necessarily. They're all very grounded and have very specific motivations. But I think, but the music does a different thing, it operates at a different level, allows the audience to maybe step back sometimes from these things and not, not get too um, bogged down in the individual complaints and uh you know hmm. bickering that the, the the characters might be involved in um i think you're I articulating I, go ahead well no but i'm just gonna say i i didn't really figure out that that's what i was doing until i was about halfway through the film uh but i i saw what was working and um it was actually was the, the way that it came to me was that i was reading uh, grim's fairy tales to my my daughter i was reading oh, i uh, love this I was reading Cinderella to her, and uh, and we get to the part where the evil stepmother has her own daughters cut off parts of their feet to fit into the slipper. And I was reading; I was about halfway through the score at this point, and uh, I thought, oh, "This reminds me of something." And I realized that, in a way, what I was what I was working on, or the way I was interpreting Martin's film, was as a fable, um, and that it seemed to it just was working. But I couldn't have said why before that. But then I that that experience allowed me to say, oh, I see, I'm making a sort of a fable out of it. And I think that that is very helpful to the audience in terms of their yeah. way they interpret what they're seeing. I, I love that because actually now that I think about it, it is a magical world. Inna Sharon doesn't, you know, everybody's kind of going to Google Maps to say, where is it? Yeah, it I doesn't go there. It doesn't really exist. Right. That's right. And you've just kind of articulated the fact that all of it is a little, fa I would say, the Fablemans, but that's really kind of going too far. But it is, it is. And though, first of all, I, when you win and you're giving your acceptance speech, I hope you thank your daughter for that moment of Cinderella <laughs> and Grimm's. But um, I think it's a, you've, you've just articulated a, it might be a longer conversation for another day, but I became aware over the several decades that I've been working in film music that what you just described of kind of dialing back, you know, you said you visually did it over the action as opposed to holding your hand has become far more of a style of film composing. And so this is actually so accurately appropriate for the film, but I saw directors more and more, I don't want any music first they'd say, because I don't want the audience to be directed as, you know, so, well, we could try that, but you're probably going to need music. It often was on the most emotional films, they'd say, I just yeah. don't want the audience directed. And so 
a lot of scores, I felt, it's funny, you said this with your hands. I, I felt composers have moved further and further to the back row. They're, they're scoring from the very back row of the bleachers. I don't know if you've noticed that as a trend, whether that's just your style and they caught up to you, which is in a way your, your approach has been. You know, I'm not going to direct the audience or hold their hand, but so many composers have moved towards that. Do you feel it? I, love that. And I do feel it. I think I know what you're talking about. And I, I do feel it. It's certainly, I mean, I, I think it is uh, a trend, uh, you know, that, that area that, that era that is so often called the golden era of film scoring, to me, it was never it wasn't a golden era because those, those scores just said way too much. I, it, take, it, I, it actually inhibits my enjoyment of those films. I can love the scores, absolutely. Uh, you know, a good Corn Gold score or, you know, uh, Max Steiner, they're fantastic. But that does, you know, kind of, it's there with you every second of the film and telling you how to feel. And um, I just am not that, as a film, film viewer, that's not what I like. And, um, and so as a composer, I try to avoid that. And I do think that there has been a trend uh, in that direction. I'll say one thing, um, one response to what you were saying. I think, for instance, Volker Berthelman, who I was just having breakfast with, you know, his score to All Quiet on the Western Front, it doesn't play the, like the characters. Um, it doesn't necessarily even play the moment by moment thing that's going on. But it's also definitely not in the back row. It's right, like, on top. It's on top of you, you know, um, when it's there. And that's um, that's interesting. It really is. Like, I feel like the same with with Banshees. That it is. It's a really present voice, but just you know, coloring the world uh, that you're in, rather than you know, rather than telling you about story or character. Um, plot um, or emotion even it's really just creating a um, creating a world uh, and um, and that and that's the I think that that's is really uh, really interesting that you've just identified in some ways it's almost like these two trends have just are starting to come together where in, it's not emotionally directing you and it's not emotionally ambiguous it's just oddly in your face of a whole new <laughs> character and saying music could right. be that it too. Is. I mean, that was, there's some moments mm -hmm. in that one where, you know, the snare drum is slammed and you think, oh, what, wait, what? But it's cool. <laughs> I know. It definitely did to me. The first snare drum hit was like, I was also, what? I, did, I rewound it. <laughs> was that really a snare drum that I just heard? Because you have to wait like five seconds yeah. for the next one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's so odd. There's space. I think also what we're talking about is that the filmmaking has changed too. From when you say Corn Gold or Steiner, you know, those were good guys and bad guys. And here comes the cavalry. They're in love and it's swelling up. Uh, and I'm going to make you feel that way. Uh, obviously, as this 20th century evolved and there was ambiguity about who was good and who was bad and filmmaking became anti-heroes and all that stuff, which we could go off on a tangent. I think music slowly started to say, I'm not going to decide who's good and who's bad. 
I'm just guessing. I'm making this up on the fly. So, um, but that maybe film music changed as films changed and directors right. didn't want to tell the audience, is this guy good or bad? Carter, before yeah, I... I think let, that's right. Is it, you know, it just feels like no. in a lot of the pictures you've worked on, um, is that a good guy or a bad guy? Is, uh, you know, is... You know, in any of your incredible scores, Fargo and Barton Fink and, you know, are some of the big Lebowski are these, these characters are complicated. They're not good or bad in some ways. They're just human. And so the composer can't put a stake in the ground. That's a good guy. He's a complicated guy. <laughs> he does weird things, but you kind of love him. Um, so it's a, it's a challenge for the composer. I wanted to just ask what's next. Do you know, or do you just, you said in one, I think in our last interview a year or so ago, you said, I'm still trying to find my career. And I thought after 90 films, <laughs> I have a sense of what you may do for a day job, but it <laughs> might still be, a, be ahead of you. But are you working on anything, anything you can share with the massive audience that's tuning in? Yes, yes, I am. I, uh, you may recall that the, then we, last we spoke, I think it was about um, Joel Cohen's Macbeth. I think um, you guys had asked me if Ethan Cohen was going to, you know, make films or if they were going to make films again together. And, and I said, well, Ethan doesn't want to make films anymore. And then, because, you know, he and I had spoken about it, but I didn't realize he had never actually publicly <laughs> made a declaration like that. So the very next day, the trades picked up my quote from your podcast, and it was like, Ethan Cohen says he doesn't want to make films anymore. Anyway, I had to apologize <laughs> to Ethan Amazing. For, for that. Um, and he said he put me in charge of all his you know, subsequent press releases. Oh, um, yeah, good. But yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I'm now can, at liberty to say I'm working on Ethan's uh, Ethan's next movie. Um, Remarkable. He shot, he shot a film in the fall, and uh, I'm just starting to work on it now. That's so great. And when would we see this or hear this? Any idea? It'd be this year, but I don't. Uh, I okay. don't know anything about release dates. But uh, sometime this year. That's exciting, and. Um... Todd, anything coming up? There's really three. I think of you attached to Todd, Martin, one or both Coens, and uh, or other compose uh, other directors knocking on your door. I'm sure always. Uh, yeah, there's there's always things around. Um, of course, I'm going to find my next career. I have to start saying no <laughs> to, to this one. Um, Last year, I did uh, a film with Lena Dunham, Catherine Called yes. Birdie, um, is yep. the title, and uh, so I'd never worked with her before. And we, but we talked nice. about it for some years, and um, yep. and that was nice. Uh, so you know, I, I don't know what else is up after um, after Ethan's movie. I think I owe Apple one more season of the Morning Show. Well, I do. Yeah, I know that I owe them one, so that'll be yep. happening. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't mind some time off. <laughs> I understand it's the um 
it's a really interesting moment in so many artists' career where they get exactly what they were hoping for and then they get to the moment where they think, uh, I'd like to take a minute. And I have seen it with composers um, be successfully achieved. I'm taking time off and I really am. And one of my great friends was in the UK on his year of Don't Call Me and a big, big director reached through the many layers of Don't Call Me and said, I need you back in L.A. to write, to fix my film that the current composer isn't doing the job I need. And he protested and the director said, I won't hear this. Be here tomorrow. And it it was total fail. He came back to L.A. and sort of his whole year collapsed. So he, I say that as a cautionary tale. If you're going to take time off, yeah, cancel your yeah, email I two, address. I took two years off after my second child was born because I just, I was aware that I could, you know, I wasn't doing a good job of being a parent and, mm. and a composer, you know, it was hard to, it's hard for anyone, I think, to do both. Yep. And I was just painfully aware of that. So I just stopped for a couple of years so I could be with my two sons when they were little and have that time. Nice. Um, but I did underestimate how difficult it would be to get back into things because, um, yeah, if you stop working for two, two years, people, the executive suites change. People don't know who you are. They what was the last thing he did? You know, they, um, and if you're honestly, if it weren't for the Cohens who of course did keep working, um, it would have been, I'd say hard to, uh, get back into it. Um, so anyway, I'm aware of that. Um, it's confusing, but I think also at this point, I'm going to go way out on a limb saying you could go away for two years and on the first day back, there'd be a line of people saying, is he back? I don't know. Uh, Cause, oh, I'm, I am convinced. Uh, there's no question, but I think. I think it's a funny bit for all of us, and I all I can hope is that is that you get exactly what you would want at this point because you've earned it. And well, I feel you have, and so I feel that way. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm it. at an age where a normal person would just you know, if, if I were a plumber, I would probably be, be thinking about retiring. <laughs> but you know, I enjoy my job. It is. I'm aware. I know a lot of working class people and it's a different thing. I actually yeah. like going to work every day and it's um, yes. not looking forward to retirement particularly. I just like more space to be able to do other things. That's all. I think that we just have gotten in closing our press headline that's sensational out of this podcast and it is Carter Burwell considers plumbing career. And I think that <laughs> There's going to be now your, your plumber, instead of Ethan calling you, your plumber's going to call you and say, dude, what? I, I don't do a good enough job. You're going to do it yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I'm upset. Anyhow, Carter, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to see you. And uh, so excited about this movie. So amazed by the quality of your work in all of them. But this one kind of blew my mind as I said at the beginning, because it was beautiful, beautiful 
wonderful instruments playing really challenging melodies. And I thought, this is a, this is a step forward. My best to you. Uh, travel safely if you're going back to the East Coast soon. And thanks for, thanks for joining me this morning. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's good to catch up. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye, Robert. See you, Carter.